Welcome to the Zeitgeist 19 curated podcast, exploring the spirit of now through the lens of art and sustainability. Your hosts are Farah Piria and Elizabeth Zhovkova. In this episode, I am interviewing Scottish artist Katie Patterson on the occasion of the biggest iteration to date of her visionary project Future Library in Oslo and one of her most political and controversial works to date, Requiem, which opened in Edinburgh in April. Making a quiet and gestural artwork, Katie refers to herself as whispering activist. Requiem tells the birth and life of our planet in a single object, an object that uses dust gathered from material dating from pre-solar times to those of the present. Her project Future Library is one of the best examples of how artists can contribute to global crisis. A forest has been planted in Norway, which will supply paper for a special anthology of books to be printed in 100 years' time. Between now and then, one writer every year will contribute a text, with the writings held in trust, unread and unpublished until the year 2114. Continue listening this episode for more. Hi, Katie. Thank you so much for doing this conversation with us. We are extremely pleased to have you here on Zeitgeist 19. And we are releasing this episode on the occasion of your biggest iteration to date of Future Library in Oslo and one of your most political works to date, Requiem, which opened in Edinburgh in April. Can you please tell us about this project and why is it your most political work? Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me. So Requiem has been maybe a decade in the making. So um, it's been made with love and, uh, and it's been a really tricky artwork to make as well. So, so Requiem is on at Ingleby Gallery just now in Edinburgh. And what you see when you walk into the gallery is in the centre of the room, there is an empty glass urn that I've had hand blown. That's like a funerary vessel. And then all around the room, on shelves are little glass uh, holders that are filled with dust, different dust. And the dust spans all of Earth's life and time. Um, so the, the little vials of dust are organized through time from the most ancient um, materials to the most uh, current present day objects that have ground to dust. So it's really a kind of compendium of life and death and everything that will be poured day by day by the public into this glass object. And then it's kind of holding the remnants of, of the planet. So Requiem has come about, it's been a huge global participation, collaboration project. Um, and it's, I've been given so many different objects that I've crowded, uh, crushed into dust. Um, that kind of tell this story of very, very deep time um, and how humans kind of connect with this very deep time and everything that has lived before us to, to kind of allow us to be here right now. So the first um, little vial of dust that people pour in is actually pre-solar. It, it predates the sun. Um, so not only beyond a human life, or even the Earth's life, but beyond the life of the sun. Um, so it's kind of material from asteroids and meteorites that we've ground down into dust. Um, and so all the dust is ground into 21 grams. Uh, so the, the weight of a soul, according to an old uh, 19th century experiment. Um, so I kind of really like that people can hold in their hand uh, these little glass objects that are filled with this dust and then pour them into the urn and then they become part of the story. 
So the oldest dust dates to you know five and a half billion years ago, and then layer by layer throughout the exhibition, it kind of spans the evolution of humankind from two million years to now, and going back to that, it's like um, the first creatures to open their eyes, the first things to develop wings, the first things to see, even the first flowers on Earth, the first color, the kind of most ancient rocks on Earth, and so it's it's a story of how how we got here and how we connect so deeply with all of that that lives alongside us and that has lived over this enormous expanse of time to allow us to, to kind of be here alive, literally talking to each other right now. Uh, we wouldn't be if, if we didn't have this enormous deep history of nature that, that has come before us. So the artwork is you know, focused on deep time and nature and ecology and today's climate crisis um, but it's really inviting people to become part of it to hold this dust in their hand and feel a kind of more intimate maybe emotional intuitive connection uh, with all of this life that's that's come before us um, and then as we kind of cross over time we come into the Pleistocene and the, the very early humans and then eventually to the Anthropocene the the human dominated era that, that we live in now. So it's got very difficult objects in it, very laden, very kind of full of energy and potency. And so things like um, from 1945, we've got Trinitite to mark the first atomic explosions that took place. Um, we've got material which signals the H-bomb, which um, apparently is the first moment where, you know, humans literally made an impact in the atmosphere and crossed the entire globe in terms of our impact in, in nature. Um, so working on the artwork for me, it has been more political than, than anything else that I've made so far, I would say. Um, it's, it's emotional, it's intuitive, and it's kind of asking us to go somewhere. It's a little bit like a prayer for the earth and a prayer for us alive now through holding these very laden objects and um, like there's barbed wire from World War II, got a piece of um, a Holocaust memorial brick um, all the way to like soybeans from the Amazon rainforest that's been lost in our lifetime to some of the earliest first uh, single cell life on earth to the synthetic life that's been developed um, quite recently. Soil from James Watt's uh, shed, the kind of onset of the industrial revolution um, and then going back in time to objects like from civilizations that have come and gone from Inca and Aztec and Taino and you know all of these astonishing cultures that have kind of lived um, before us which have set the foundation for, for our lives. Um, so I've never thought of myself as a particularly political artist but you know, now I can't shy away from it. It's, it's, this is really asking people to kind of access deep time, but to do it through the lens of a, a, a present day moment where we're really in crisis in, in so many ways. Um, humans have become literally a geological force. We've kind of overtaken um, any natural process so far. The amount of creatures that we breed for, for our own gain is now more than any other uh, life form. Like one of the, the layers in the urn is actually chicken bone because there are more chickens on earth now than any other creature. 
So that's sort of astonishing. And so the artwork really thinks about, you know, the, lo the loss of nature, the, the extinction that humans are, are kind of leaving in our path, but also it's an object of deep wonder and curiosity and kind of saying, look, isn't this incredible? All of this life has been there, has kind of grown and evolved and changed. And, and here we are right now. We have such a short window of time to make enormous changes that are going to affect, you know, hundreds of generations um, after us. Um, so, you know, it's really saying, what now? Where, where are we going? This is our history. Uh, what, what next? Katie, you just mentioned that you've always made artworks about nature, time and climate. What other works you can tell us about that speak to environmental issues? Yeah, so all, all of my works, I would say, deal with nature, time, light, space, connecting with the more than human world, connecting to that that's beyond us. Um, and whether that's through looking at really distant stars and millions of years into the past or, you know, looking at trees and, and life on Earth right now through paleontology and rocks. So I'd, I'd say the first project that I made that was really, you know, quite overtly environmental is I, I put a microphone inside a glacier in Iceland and people could dial a phone number and listen live to the sound of this glacier melting. So that was, you know, back, I, I was a student when I made that work, I was camping beside the glacier. I was really interested in the idea of kind of collapsing time and distance and making a quite intimate connection with this faraway distant thing, you know, this phenomena that's melting. Um, back then, that was in, when was that, 2007, you know, there was an awareness of environmental issues, but it's, it's clearly ramped up. Um, since then and so the the artwork was you know directly environmental and that it was thinking of melting glaciers the loss of landscape all around us but also it's trying to create a sense of wonder and you know this kind of awe um, in the face of nature and all this beauty that we have and um, that's potentially going to be lost um, so that was one of the first works but more recently I've I've made um, incense that smells of the first forest on earth and the last forest on earth. Um, so this project is called To Burn Forest Fire. And I've worked with Japanese incense makers and paleontologists and geologists and scientists um, who work with trees to literally like map the scent of what the first ever forest on earth could have smelt like if we were to be there to, to breathe it in. So the first stick of incense smells of Cairo, which was the first ever trees to evolve on Earth in upstate New York, um, apparently. And so we kind of wanted to create the scent of the atmosphere, of the sky, of what was alive alongside these very, very early trees. So actually, even though they're 385 million years old, it's not that old in the kind of context of, of the Earth. And vertebrates didn't even exist then. You know, the, the only thing living, there were insects, but there, there wasn't anything resembling what we, what we have become. But the first trees started growing. So that incense stick smells of, it's kind of fungi and quite swampy. Um, it smells very earthy and so, in soil and life. But then the second incense stick, and this is where it gets very environmental, is a scented of the Amazon rainforest. 
Um, so I'd imagine trying to recreate the smell of the first and the last forest. So the question is, what, what is the last forest? Um, and of course, so many forests are so deeply under threat right now um, from human impact, most generally. Um, and I looked forward in time, you know, kind of billions of years into Earth's future, but it was so difficult to make any assumptions about what, what the last, really last forest on Earth could be. So we looked to those that are the most threatened now. And the Amazon just spoke so clearly to, you know, this enormous loss of life. And the Amazon being so rich with life and so rich with biodiversity um, and the fact that it's being destroyed on this kind of epic level and um, that it could be lost in just our lifetimes. And that's so deeply shocking that I, I wanted to recreate the smell of the Amazon as it is right now, lush and full of life and beautiful. And um, so we worked with indigenous communities in Ecuador to kind of to do question and answer sessions um, of what they were smelling on this journey at the Tipitino Biodiversity Station. And then we would work with the Japanese perfumer to translate the descriptions of, you know, some of the animals living there and the fruits and the inga fruits and the fizzing alcoholic scents and, and the soil. Um, and then we made these two very discreet incense sticks, which burn now in the gallery or outside. We've, we've done burnies and burnings in botanical gardens and in forests themselves. Um, so the idea with that work was really to collapse these enormous distance of time just to make us aware of, you know, wow, the first trees grew at this point on earth and now, you know, we owe lives to trees, they're cousins. Um, and here we are at a moment in time where the Amazon full of life um, is, is, you know, a, a great threat. So again, it's an artwork that tries to tune into emotion, to senses, and to create something that allows us to be in a different space and be transported through, tra through time. So that, another work that that kind of connects nicely to is uh, also in the Ingleby exhibition right now, and I, I just made it, it's called Evergreen. And it's an embroidery um, of all the extinct flowers and plants of this moment. So I've worked to archive and collect every image or drawing or specimen of a plant or flower that doesn't exist anymore. Um, and then I've worked with Deborah Lampkin, who's a botanical illustrator, to redraw these now long gone flowers. Um, and then I've had it woven together in a design that represents um, the arts and crafts movement, where at that time, even though it was just 100 years ago, which is really not, not so far, there was a great reverence for nature. And um, I wanted to kind of use the outline of May Morris's uh, embroidery called Owl, uh, which is this beautiful kind of flowing vine. And then um, I replaced all the flowers and plants from that embroidery with those that are now extinct. Um, so it's black and white. It's been sewn really beautifully by the Royal School of Needlework in London. Over a million stitches. It's been many people stitching this, this piece. Um, and yeah, it, it kind of represents what we've lost and an urge to be aware of what, what's at stake um, and also celebrate nature again and kind of think about our wonder, our connections, our attachment, and, and what nature is to us. Um, 
And then finally, another work that connects so deeply to, to nature and time is Future Library that, that you mentioned. It is a 100-year uh, unfolding artwork in Oslo, and it's made of nature. It's called Future Library. And I planted um, a thousand trees. And in a hundred years, that forest is growing a book. So the trees will be printed, sorry, a book will be printed on the paper made from these trees in a, a century from now. So we invite a new author every year uh, to write a new piece of writing that will be printed on these trees um, in the Norwegian forest that will only be read after we're gone, after they're gone, for the, for the new, the new uh, generation. So, so it's, it's a project that really speaks of hope and trust and you know, positing an image in your mind of who this future generation is and kind of offering them a small gesture, but here's a book, it's, it's from us to you. And um, it's thinking about you know, words becoming trees, becoming energy and thoughts, and this eventually becoming this book that, that people will, will read. And we've had the most phenomenal authors involved from Margaret Atwood, David Mitchell and Sean and El Shafak, Han Kang. And this year we're having a really beautiful event. Everybody's welcome in the Norwegian forest. Um, where three of the authors are coming to hand over the manuscript. Every year we have a, a ritual in the forest um, where the authors bring their manuscripts. We all take a walk together and celebrate the, the handover of the manuscript. Nobody will read the words, but the authors announce the title. And so we gather together around these little trees that are actually now, you know, a few feet high. Um, the author gives a reading. And this year we've got um, Carlo Vickneisgaard, Ocean Vong and Sitsi Nangaremba all handing over their manuscripts in the forest. So it's going to be a really beautiful year. We're also opening the room in the new library in Oslo where the manuscripts are going to be held. Um, and so I've designed the room with the architects of the new library and it's made of wood from the forest. It's very intimate, it's quite magical. It's, it has little glass casket, glass drawers that light up. Um, so that people can see the manuscripts through the glass, but they don't know what's inside. They just know the title and they know the year. So the artwork to begin with, you know, maybe wasn't so obviously environmental or political, but as the years went on, it just grew and grew. And I think that's because of the huge changes that we've faced and that we're witnessing, you know, live um, all around us in just seven years since the project began. I've really noticed, for example, um, the discussions have moved from being about the book, about the material of the book, about digital reading, to being about the extinction of the human race and you know, questioning, will there be people to, to read this book, which is kind of deeply shocking, but also so important to, to listen to and to sort of reflect on. And, and so, so it's an artwork that you know, thinks of the interconnection of trees and us and and, um, and positing this image of the future generation who will read the word and saying, we see you, you know, we see you, we respect you. And yeah, we want to leave something else for you that isn't a world in, in disrepair. <laughs> Thank you, Katie. My final question to you is you have worked on a lot of projects that address issues you care about, not only as an artist, but as a citizen of the world. Can you tell us how did the social and political consciousness develop in you? And 
I kind of kind of have two questions in one. Uh, do you think an artist carries some sort of responsibility to contribute to the critical global conversations? Well, thank you so much. I'm going to answer your second question first um, about whether artists should have this responsibility. And, you know, I kind of think that anybody alive in the world right now has some kind of responsibility. Um, and I think artists have always responded to the world around them, you know, whatever that world was, whether it was in the 1800s or, or right now. And what our world is, is, you know, we're faced with enormous threats, enormous existential threats. We're, we're kind of, we, we know that things are deeply wrong. We can feel it in our bones. You know, we, the disconnection to nature has become stronger and stronger. And so, you know, when I started making artwork, I don't, I did not think of myself as activist in any way. Um, but I've now come to think of myself as a kind of whispering activist. You know, I'm not kind of holding up slogans or, or shouting about anything in particular, but I make artwork that's quite quiet, that's quite gestural. But nevertheless, it's, you know, it's speaking to people's hearts, it's speaking to people's minds, and it's, it's kind of saying, let's look at deep time, let's look at nature, let's look at where we are now. Um, and so where did that all come from? I mean, I... I, I've always been a bit of a daydreamer. <laughs> I've always loved nature. I've always been interested in the beyond human, the more than human world. Um, I'm kind of never happier with, the, you know, to have a view of the sea or to be in amongst the trees in the forest. And so I think nature has always kind of been there, but it's all, I've always had an awareness of the distance as well and kind of how far away we, we are becoming um, from nature. And so a really important moment for me in life was that I moved to Iceland um, in between my studies. And I was just completely struck in a way that I hadn't been before. This is kind of later in life, but I, I was just so struck by the energy of the landscape, by the kind of strata where you could you feel like you could see time right in front of you in the landscape to the midnight sun that would sort of bounce on the horizon and, and the 24-hour daylight and and so I, I think that that was a really important moment for me where, where I was just seeing that we live on a planet and that this planet is you know revolving around another sun and that that connects to everything it connects to who we are and then you know it's our origins planets recycling into other planets and, and it's it's really where we came from so I think at that point you know that that's probably where I started making artwork that that really connects to our human relationship to to that that's around us whether that's through geology or cosmology but always thinking of deep time and deep space um, and then now I'm a mum and so I think that has maybe you know really has as another layer of influence and that you know I have a little boy who's entering this world he's four um, and he's going to be growing up in a, a very different world and it's you know I, I want to if possible contribute in in some small way to the vision of what he's going to inherit you know from us and, and I love um, Roman Krasnarek's expression of a good good ancestor and I sort of feel like it's all of our jobs, not just artists, but to, to try our best, in, in, even when that's completely contradictory, and um, to, to, you know, try and open our 
eyes to, to what, what we're facing just now and try to be slow and to make changes. And yeah. Thank you so much, Katie, for this insightful conversation and your genuine answers. And I wish you the best of luck with your upcoming projects. <laughs>